Hello, everyone. I'm going to invite you now to grab a Bible and find the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. We're going to read it in a moment, but I want you to have your Bible handy. As we get into this really important chapter in the Bible, I want to read a scripture that I think will help fill in one of the deepest meanings of our picture of Jesus for this morning. And you know, there's a common phrase called hindsight is 2020, and that is that when we look back on something, we can really understand it in a way when we're going through it that we certainly cannot. And I believe that one of the beautiful things about when we read about the cross from the New Testament church in the Pauline epistles is that there are all of these deep, beautiful meanings that have been come to understanding through looking back at what Jesus did and how it shaped and informed the church. One example of this is from Colossians, which I want to be our guide and our theme as we get into our picture this morning. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says this, For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So we see here this picture of Jesus on the cross bringing all things unto himself, making all things right, renewing all things. And I think one of Mark's geniuses as a storyteller, as you've been going through this story with me, hopefully, is that you've discovered that Mark is using a lot of unlikely signs along the way and teachers to bring us to this moment. Maybe you remember in Mark chapter 1, this was this interesting healing that took place between Jesus and this man in the Capernaum synagogue. And in it, in Mark 1.24, it says, What do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That is the demon within this man speaking to Jesus. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that we hear the truth of who Jesus is from probably the most unlikely place we could ever imagine learning this essential sacred truth. We see this again when Jesus is dealing with a Gennesarean demoniac, a great name for a metal band, as we said. In Mark 5, 7, it says, He shouted at the top of his voice, Who, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So, this Gennesarean moniac who's tortured and is struggling with probably mental health issues and legions of demons and um, has been cast out of his community is the voice who echoes again for us this essential truth 
son of the most high God, who Jesus truly is, the thing that the disciples are struggling to understand. Then we get this peculiar image in Mark 8, where Jesus is healing a man, and he heals him. He spits in his hand, and he puts it in some dirt, and he rubs it in this man's eyes. And then this man starts to see a little bit, and Jesus asks, can you see? Are your eyes open? And he asks him, what does he see? And he says, I see trees all around. And then Jesus does the spit and the dirt again and puts it in his eyes. And the second time, he is able to see and is healed. This is a way not only for us to see this beautiful miracle that Jesus did for a man who desperately needed it, but also for the disciples to be reminded that they have partial insight, that they can see a little but not in full of who Jesus is. Another way we get to discover this is in Mark chapter 10. You know that famous story where the sons of Zebedee are vying for the power seat next to Jesus. And they have this peculiar conversation with him where they're asking to sit on his right and his left in his kingdom. Then Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, let me sit next to you in all of your glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking me. Then he says, can you drink from the cup that I am going to drink from? And they say, yes, we can drink from the same cup that you can drink from. And they were right. But they had no idea what they were actually saying. These are pictures of partial insight. These are ways that Mark is preparing us as a reader and preparing, and Jesus is preparing the disciples in the story to get to the picture of Jesus that we have this morning. The most important picture for us to understand. Maybe the most important portrait in all of human history would be chapter 15 and chapter 16. And so, my prayer is that as we've been journeying through Mark, that God has also been using these unlikely characters to open our eyes and to help us to hear and to understand truly what we're reading when we read Mark chapter 15. I love this quote that was passed around between pastors a couple years ago, but it's probably more applicable now than ever before. It's from a pastor named Reverend Sarah Joost, and she said this, Going to seminary is, I think, a lot like going to culinary school. You learn the basic foundations, some cool party tricks, and by the end, you can prepare a gourmet meal. Pastoring, however, is waking up every day to a new episode of Chopped, where the ingredients are completely random and you're expected to do something with whatever you've been handed while everyone watches and provides running commentary, and occasionally something explodes. I love this picture of ministry because it shows us something true about the human 
story and ability. That Jesus, in his ability to reconcile all things, to use all things, is a master of the chopped form of ministry. No matter what comes along his way, he incorporates it into the story, whether it is good or whether it is bad. He's using it all. It is all driving the story forward to our gospel picture this morning. One of the most extreme forms of this we find just before the crucifixion. We see that on a note written as a charge against Jesus after his trial, in all capital letters, his accusation was King of the Jews. And then we know that there was an ironic crown of thorns placed upon his head. You see, what he was accused of is true. And the crown that was placed upon his head was actually the authoritative, definitive statement that he was not just the king of the Jews, but king of the whole world. And to this moment, he sits on his throne. But these things come to us in the form of trial papers and in the form of ironic crosses. And so, even though the truth is there before those who are taking Jesus to the cross, they cannot see it. They cannot hear it. And they do not understand. Even the disciples in this moment are scattered because their shepherd has been struck and the sheep have scattered away. They still only have partial insight of who Jesus is. All of the pictures up to this moment give way to this one picture. And I wonder, I wonder if you can really see it this morning. If you can really hear it this morning. And so we're going to read it slowly and give this picture the attention that it deserves. And I pray that in the spirit of Ignatius, once again, that you would imagine yourself in this scene. Feeling the emotions that would have been felt on that day. Inserting yourself into this picture and discovering what it would mean for you and discovering what it would mean for us and for the world. And so if you would, the words will be on the screen. Would you hear these sacred words from Mark chapter 15? A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. When they offered him wine, then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. 
It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eli, Eloi, lama shamat batanai, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled the sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Let us pray. God, I pray that reading your word this morning that we would be able to see and to hear and to understand. Lord, we pray for new eyes and new ears, and we recognize that there are places where we only have partial insight. So grow us, teach us, and transform us by your cross. And Lord, we put the cross at the center of ourselves this morning, at the center of our lives, at the center of our church. And we say, do your work in us. Move in us. Crucify the flesh in us. And move us deeper into communion with you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. There are many ways we could talk about the cross, but one that I think is true to Mark is this illustration of judo. Uh, Maybe you know the modern martial art that is judo. This is a whole martial arts practice that is really about taking the energy of the attacking opponent and using it against them. Just think of all the energy that 
is being used to keep Jesus from the cross. We see the temptation start early on in the wilderness with the devil as he takes Jesus through three major temptations. And those major temptations are present even in this story. They're appeals to the human side of Jesus. They're appeals to his hunger. And they're also appeals to the ways in which Jesus walks in the power of God. And so there's temptations to not, uh, to take on power and might and to make great miraculous displays of jumping off the temple and soaring away and having the angels help him to do that. And so both of these appeals we find in this story as Jesus is brought through his greatest fear and agony, one that we discover on, in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays that this is not his will that he would drink this cup of suffering that we see here on the cross, but he goes through this temptation of the desire of his human flesh and into a receiving of the will of God which has taken him on this journey into this final moment. His physical flesh cries out and says no. But he resists the temptation to move out of the suffering and do what he could do, which is to seek comfort and power. And then in the midst of this story, we also see the challenge. Once again, Jesus, just come down. Just come down off of the cross. Just call on Elijah to help you to come down off the cross. Then it will be proven once and for all, for all of us to see here, that you are powerful and that you are strong. But Jesus has a different way of showing us what God is really like. He has something more in mind, something bigger, something more important to teach us in this critical moment. He's teaching us about love. He's teaching us that he is reconciling all things and so whereas our love is contingent, our love says, I will love you as long as you love me in return. And we keep scales of love. And eventually, if we don't receive the kind of love that we are putting out into the world, then we say, no, no more. You're cut off. I can't do this anymore. I can't take it anymore. And so our love is used as a tool as a device. We give love so that we can receive love, but Jesus' definition of love on the cross is one that never stops giving no matter what. Never stops taking all of the energies that are hurled against him, all of the partial insights, all the brokenness, 
all of the fears, all of the failures, all of our stories, all of our baggage, all of human history, and he's bringing it all together to reconcile it and to renew it and to restore it. And so instead of playing an offensive attack game, he is in the moment of pure vulnerability, total sacrifice, complete absorption of everything and all that has been done and all that will be done that is not in his name. And he takes it on himself and he absorbs it. He cruciforms it. And he says, yes, I recognize all of these imperfections and brokenness and evils of this age. I see them and I take them and I do some judo and I use what the enemy was using to attack me and use the energy against itself and he lets it drive him deeper and deeper and lower and lower and lower and lower. And what the enemy didn't understand is that Jesus is a seed. And so when they were digging his grave, they were actually planting him in the ground and preparing for our next picture. Do you love like this? Do you love in the way of Jesus who simply just doesn't withdraw love? One of the people that best preaches on the cross is Brendan Manning, and I've been reading a lot of Brendan Manning a lot. I've actually read one of his biographies, and one of the things it talks about is just the extraordinary life that this man lived, and I just want to read a couple things about Brennan Manning and his experience with the cross. Brennan's crosswalk journey led him to become a Franciscan priest, a theology instructor, and many years of living a contemplative life, serving the poor in Europe, the U.S., and he was what's called an aguador, who carried water to the thirsty in rural villages. He also worked as a mason's assistant and a dishwasher. He became a volunteer prisoner in secret as a show of love for mistreated people. And he prayed in the isolation of a desert cave for six months. And then he writes this in his book, Abba's Abba's Child. On Brennan's long cave retreat, he sensed the Lord speak to his heart. For love of you, I left my father's side. I came to you who ran from me, who fled me, who did not want to hear my name. For love of you, I was covered with spit, punched and beaten and fixed to the wood of the cross. Those words are burned into my life. That night I learned that a wise, what a wise old Franciscan told me the day I joined the order. 
once you come to know the love of Jesus Christ, nothing else in the world will seem as beautiful or desirable. How might Jesus be doing judo in your life? How might he take all of this negative energy that is out there and present in our world that has made its way into our fears and frustrations and uncertainty about the future and the anxiety that overwhelms and mystifies and leaves us feeling exhausted? How might the cross come in into that place? What does a cross look like in pandemic? What can Jesus do with all of this energy? Well, one of the things that I believe that Jesus can do with this energy is a message for the church. You see, there is a weaving of American cultural success and a lot of how the church understands kingdom success. Far too often, those two things are conflated and interwoven in unhealthy, non-disciple-making ways. And so during this pandemic, we have the ability to pause and to wonder together, where have we pursued growth or just becoming a large movement for the sake of going deep? and really teaching people how to be disciples of Jesus when it matters most. Get rid of all the fog machines, get rid of all the cool graphics, get rid of the right and wrong concept of what worship music should be, get rid of this program or that program because that's going to be the silver bullet and perhaps be reminded again that it is finished. That the cross has done away with all of our scheming and all of our ways of thinking that we're going to control what we cannot control. And we must prepare again for this type of discipleship, this type of discipleship that is at the very center of the Christian community, is at the center of our worship um, here as the cross is in the background as I preach. The primary symbol of the Christian church is the cross because it is a symbol that shows us that we gather under the banner of this decision to not turn away what makes us most afraid from what makes us most afraid, to not turn away from what makes us most overwhelmed, but to face it and to recognize in our journey towards it, through suffering, through pain, that we will actually find what we've been looking for all along. That as we receive the grace of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross in the forms of drops of blood, that 
we too can become the type of courageous disciples that God is calling out into the world that want Jesus above all else. Like Manning who discovered that he is Abba's child and that that was more satisfying than anything else he had ever found in any other pursuit. Nothing is more beautiful or desirable than this way that Jesus has pioneered and perfected for us. So this morning, I invite you to not close off or isolate when things on your computer screen get overwhelming, but to choose to keep loving anyways. To say, I won't let my temporary emotions cause me to lose sight of the big picture or to check out of the long distance race. To say, I will continue to love without condition the people in my life because I can receive and cruciform the parts of me and my pride that are getting in the way of me connecting to the people that I'm called to love. And to recognize that Jesus has done this in the fullness of the schema of all of life. And so we rest easy again knowing that we have been reconciled and that he is reconciling all things. And because of the cross, we simply join with him in this beautiful, sacred act. And we thank him for the privilege of taking up our cross as part of this journey together. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to participate in the reconciliation of all things. In heaven and on earth, I thank you that you have not wasted one part of our story, that all of us, all of it shapes who we are and shapes who we can reach for the sake of the gospel. So use us. Help us to receive your grace so that we can move into the world with all power that is only given by you. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen.